Blog Talk Radio. It's October 1st, 2017. Hello and welcome to Working for a Living radio show, where progressives for change present opinions that matter. Tonight, we're joined by co-hosts Jeff Brown and Dave Fillion. I'm your moderator, Leroy McKnight. Please remember, good leadership is never about power and control, but rather for the honor and the privilege of serving the members in the interest of the membership. To be sure, each and every member of the leadership team of Working for a Living is committed to returning our union, the UAW, to a labor ethos and that ethos then administered in the interest of all the rank-and-file membership. Having said that, we certainly hope everyone had an enjoyable week and that you had a lot of fun and stayed safe. Announcements. First announcement is GM workers at CAMI Assembly in Ontario remain on strike. Team Working for a Living fully supports Unifor Local 88 in their efforts. Announcement two, please take note of the local union uh, 88 strike assistance post on Facebook and on teamworkingforliving.com. Okay, uh, announcement number three, remember that Team Working for a Living supports Medicare for Everyone and removing the $127,000 cap on earnings that are subject to participation in Social Security program that allows uh, those one percenters, three percenters, to participate in the running of our country in our health care program. Everybody should be a participant. Reminder that a petition is on our page to sign support of Medicare for All. Also, there's a page on workingforaliving.com for you to contact your representatives, senators, governor, president, uh, all of your respective officials from your state and your congressional district and the Senate from your state. Uh, You can go there, and there's directions to do that. Uh, Announcement number four, Team Working for a Living continues to oppose the Working Families Flexibility Act. Announcement number five, Team Working for a Living continues to stand shoulder to shoulder with the Michigan Building Trades against the legislation introduced to repeal Michigan Prevailing Wage and the effort for any petition drive. To that end, on July 7, 2017, the Michigan Building Trades have renewed their request to decline to sign any petition you are presented with that has anything to do with prevailing wage. They have 180 days from early in July, that takes you up into early January, for them to collect almost, well, 250-some thousand uh, signatures. And if you don't sign it, they can't do that. Announcement number six, remember there's no offer on the uh, table for FCA uh, buyout yet that we know of, and we check. Uh, on and announcement number seven, on September 28, 2017, the United States Supreme Court has granted the, a, the petition for a 
writ of certiary in the matter of Janus versus ASME. ASME being a union for uh, municipal, uh, state, federal employees, local. Uh, as you may recall, Mark Janus desires to prohibit union dues to be required to be paid to the union that represents any local, state, or federal employees of the government. Email and messages. Uh, first email, thank you. We both thought the show went well, and thank you once again for allowing us the opportunity to speak and share our thoughts. That's from President Dan Borthwick and Chairman Mike Van Vogel, Unifor Local Union 88 at the CAMI Assembly, GM CAMI Assembly operations that are on strike. We thank you, brothers, and all of your members for having the solidarity and the unity that you have demonstrated here on the show and uh, uh, in your uh, facilities as you uh, represent the members in their best interest. And we know that you have a lot of support from around the world. And folks, remember, drop a check in the mail. There's a way to do that on workingforaliving.com. Get the chance. Uh, okay, now our email number two. Thank you for having the local union pre 88 president and chairman on your show. You're doing an excellent job for us. That's from Ontario. And, of course, we had some negative comment. Uh, not, uh, email number three, those Canadian workers are our competition. Why should we support them? And that's from New York. Um, well, first of all, there's a page on workingforaliving.com called Who is the Real Enemy that deals better with your question in more detail. But I must tell you that Anybody that's making first-tier wages is in the same boat we're in as auto workers. If, if they're making basically what we're making, they're, they're not our competition. They're our peers. They're trying to keep their wages high as just as much as we are. We're trying to stop the race to, you know, to the bottom in wages. Uh, yeah, there's folks out there would like to raise up Mexico. There's ways of doing that without just saying, let's raise their wages. There really are ways ways to do that and stop the dumping. What we need to do, we talked about it last week a little bit, and we talked about it in depth on the April 24 show, this 2017. Stop the dumping by sliding scale of surcharge. That stops that and stops it from everybody. And you just give the money back, and that that does not violate global agreement on tax and tariffs. GATT, that was signed one year to the day, December 8, 1994, after NAFTA was signed a year earlier to the day. So there are ways of doing that and making sure that there's the dumping stops in the United States and in in Canada. But believe me. They aren't our competition, no more than competition from any other United States facility may be to you. And that's Appendix K that we need to address in our agreements, at least the General Motors agreement, but it's, you know, other uh, appendix in Ford in the uh, FCA agreement. So 
just know that they're not as big a threat or a competition as you might imagine. The Equinox is a wonderful vehicle. There's lots of them. I look around my own little community, lots of them. And they've been built here in Lansing. They've been built in Spring Hill, Tennessee, and now they're being built in, in uh, Ontario. You really don't know where they've been built at until so you go look at it, you know. So, and it's an amazing car. Everybody's happy with it. It's been a good car no matter where it's been built, but it's really been, they're doing an excellent job out there. They're getting all kinds of awards on this vehicle as they're building it there in Canada now. And it's a nice, nice, nice vehicle. So, uh, email number four. Is there anything that can be done to help temporary workers that are being fired after they get hurt on the job? In the name of the state's been withheld. Yes, and I think we're going to take that issue on, at least on in the show, and maybe offer some assistance, uh, direction maybe, because uh, we've got to be a little careful how much assistance we give. But certainly some some direction on where you might be able to get essential justice for that. Okay. Uh, announcement number, or email number five. Uh, I agree, Jeff. Article 6 needs to be enforced more, and that's from Michigan. And I'm sure Jeff believes that. He's, he's been holding some people, to, their feet to the fire over uh, some of this stuff, and he is indeed doing what he says uh, he's, uh, he's doing. So that's uh, uh, kudos to Jeff and his team at his local union for doing, doing the right thing there. And they're not trying to be punitive. Just get, you know, what's right is supposed to be right, and let's let's do it, get it corrected, and let's move forward. That's how, how it's supposed to work. And so I think they're working on that as well. In fact, I know it. Uh, email number six. Uh, this came, you know, I'll just say it. Thank you so much for the show. I hope everybody gets the opportunity to listen regularly. Those are messages from around the world, and those were sort of the, the consensus uh, words from pretty much everybody. Um, and we would just say, with that in mind, those of you who are listening uh, and the, the writer of this, uh, tell just one friend about us. If you tell one friend a week, uh, you know, the message gets out there. We're trying to do a good job for you. We really are. And we expect to do a good job for you once we ascend the leadership of this great union, our UAW. Uh, thank you to all the email writers. Uh, much appreciated. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, it's, it takes a second to go ahead and write something to us, but we, we really appreciate it, everybody's uh, input. So, uh, Up next is this week's quote. That's my favorite. I, had to, I just had to reiterate this one one more time. <laughs> you cannot win the Kentucky Derby with a plow horse. And that's by James McCullough, Big Ten football champion. We won't go into when, just been a while ago. Uh, let's bring on our co-host, Jeff Brown and Dave Filling. Let's bring in uh, Jeff first. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Leroy. How are you? Pretty good. It's been, you know, a pretty busy week here. We did a lot of interesting things that um, are going to enhance uh, the uh, uh, membership of our team. So, you, as you know, it's well underway, and we're having a lot of uh, uh, success with that 
joining the team, and uh, it's uh, going to be enhanced a little more by what we did over this past week. And uh, you were a part of that. Without going into a lot, whole lot of detail, we really want to thank uh, David and yourself and, and Marie uh, for all of that. All that you did, Marie's a member of Jeff's team in his own local union, part of the leadership team here. Uh, and we really appreciate all that she does. She's an amazing person. Uh, you don't hear a lot of the other names. Marie was not necessarily uh, opposed to having her name used, uh, but there are a lot of others who have had their name used, and we've decided uh, because of the attacks on those people to keep them sequestered until such time as it seems appropriate that everybody know. But believe us, we have a well-diversified team, um, and uh, the team is not just old white men. Uh, it might seem like that a little bit, but believe it. It's uh, very diverse, and we're pleased to, to have uh, the folks with high credentials, lots and lots of credentials, and uh, we're going to make our union great again. We really are. Uh, with the people, and everybody's committed to doing this. Um, so we have a call once a week so that uh, everybody knows. I mean, I'm kind of answering just how 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 you doing, Leroy. Uh, but we have a call once a week. This week I was out of town near the end of the week, so we had a little hiccup with that. But we'll be back into that mode again uh, next week uh, with uh, most of the team uh, being updated, they were updated, um, you know, after we made the decisions and things about what the show is supposed to be. We did that one-to-one -one on the phone as opposed to having a team call, at least three of us. So that's how I'm doing, Jeff. Um, been busy, so to speak, you know, around here. And I I uh, was out of town for a couple of days, as you know. So... Busy. Uh, let's bring David on. Jeff, why is How you doing? Hey, David. Doing pretty good out here. Had some good days this week. I enjoy the hot weather. <laughs> it was so hot when we did our little, little uh, organizing uh, stuff that we were doing there. So that was that was kind of nice. It was it wasn't too hot that day. So. No. Oh, if we'd have done it the day before, we'd have had a meltdown. <laughs> just yeah, just pretty hot then. So, but yeah, not to be too um, cryptic, but it's, it's really good stuff we're doing here, and it's uh, giving you the opportunity to join the team uh, a little easier. Uh, so, we'll, uh, just you know, keep keep a lookout. You know, you're gonna uh, you know uh, get the opportunity. Uh, and, and there's a lot of you already done it, so we thank thank all those people. We're numbers up there, pretty good right now. We're, we're pleased that about that. So, all right. Well, uh, having said all of that, Jeff, are you ready to go with your report? Uh, yeah, I'm ready. I think you're doing what the second half of six this week, right? Article six. Yeah, I think I left off. Oh, let's see. Section 10. 
Go ahead and start with Section 11. Okay. Just so that the folks know, um, we had that email about Article 6 needs to be enforced, and as Leroy said, um, myself and a few other co-workers are making sure our local leadership keeps the nose clean and do the right things for the membership instead of trying to dictate to us what they want to do and when they want to do it. As a matter of fact, tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, I'm scheduled to appear at our union hall for a trial committee. I'll be testifying in that trial. Um, We are going to try to work things out where it works out the best for everybody. I got all my material ready. I'm going to go in there and kick some ass. And, and also, um, as my friend Marie, um, everybody knows in the plants, they mess with her, they got to go through me. So she's a very special lady, a good friend, and a very good unionist. So nobody's going to mess with her, I promise. Okay, we're going off not number 11. No application shall be accepted from the one designated, designated as the head of a department directing company policy or having the authority to hire and discharge workers. Members of the unions who are promoted to such positions shall be issued a withdrawal card immediately by the local union in conformity with Article 17 of this Constitution. Members promoted to minor positions where they work with their coworkers and do not have the power of spend by hiring and discharging employees may retain their membership in the local unions at the street of the local union. I, I don't know, I don't like that, that section. Um, for some reason, I just, something doesn't sound right with that one. Uh, well, it's, well it's something that we'll take a look at, Jeff. I mean, uh, it's uh, you know, somebody. It's addressing somebody like a state worker that might get promoted into uh, a position that's not in the bargaining unit and may not be management at, at either, but just in, sort of in between. Uh, and maybe that needs to be addressed. Let's. Uh, see uh, what the emails might come in on that. Uh, We would ask uh, the listeners if you have any pleasure about those members uh, that get promoted, maybe not necessarily to a management position, but to a higher level, and they become more salary than uh, a union member, more hourly, even though some of our people are salary. Uh, but if you have a, a, a thought on that, send in an email, and we'll consider those. We'll also take, you know, in the team call and see what the pleasure of the team is as well uh, based on the emails that you send. The sooner you send them in, the, the, the better that, you know, it's going to be able to be brought up in our team uh, meeting. So, uh, and then we can formulate something to address that as a resolution if we need to, depending on what people say. But you're right, Jeff. It's something that uh, uh, do you really want somebody that's not in the bargaining group still 
retaining membership in in the local union. So uh, I'll let you go forward then, brother. Okay. Section 12, the names of all applicants for admission about those applications, there is a, the least doubt may be published in the unofficial, or I'm sorry, the official publications. No applicants whose names have been published shall be received into membership till 30 days after the date of such publication. However, applications for membership from an unorganized or newly organized workplace shall be held in confidence. Number, section 13, any member in good standing who shall have become totally incapacitated by accident or illness may at discretion of his or her local union be granted gratuitous membership continuing during incapacity. Appropriated cards that denoting such membership shall be available through the local union information system. Section 14. All members of the local union are also members of this international union and subject to the orders and rulings and the decisions of this international of this properly constituted authorities of the same. Well, we're going to do some work on that, too, once we get in office. Um, Section 15. The international union and the local union to which the member belongs shall be her or his exclusive representative for the purpose of collective bargaining in respect to rates of pay, wages, hours of, of employment, or other conditions of employment. And then the negotiations execution of contracts with the employers covering all such matters, including contracts requiring membership or the continuance of membership in the union as a condition of employment, uh, continuing employment, and contracts requiring the employer to deduct, collect, or assist in collecting on her or his wages, any dues, initiation fees, reinstatement fees, payable to the international union of his or his or her local union. Uh, Section 16. My eyes are going bad. The international union and the local union to which the member belongs, and each of them are him or her implicately designated, authorized, and empowered exclusively to appear and act for the members and in his or her behalf before a board, court, committee, or other tribunal in any matter affecting his or her status as an employee or a member of his or her local union or the international union, and exclusively to act as the member's agent to represent and bind him or her in the presentation, prosecution, adjustment of settlements of all grievances, complaints, or disputes of any kind or character arising out of the employee-employee relationship that's fully and to all intents and purposes as he and she might or could do if personally present. Section 17. A member of a local union may resign or terminate membership 
only by a written communication signed by member signed by the member to the financial secretary of the local union. And such resignation or termination of, of membership shall be effective upon receipt by the financial secretary of the local union, providing that if the employer of such person has been authorized by such person individually or by the collective bargaining agreement between the employer and the local union to check off any amounts from wages such as person, such resignation or termination of the membership should not relieve such person from the obligations arising from such checks, check-off obligations. Section 18, a member who resigns or terminates his or her membership shall have no right or interest in any property of the local union or the international union, including any dues or other financial obligations paid by the member in advance of the effective date of such, of such resignation or termination. Section 19. Any member in good standing who is retired shall be entitled to a retirement membership status, which without being required to pay membership dues during the period of such retirement. Shall, be, shall entitle him or her to all of the privileges of membership except the right to vote in elections conducted pursuant to Article 19, Section 3, Article 45, Section 2, and Article 50, Section 1, and 5. Appropriate cards denoting such membership status shall be prepared by the International Union and furnished to the local union on request and at cost. The regular withdrawal transfer provisions of this Constitution shall be applicable if such retired members returns to active employment. Now, one more. Section 20. No members covered by an agency shop clause in a UAW contract shall receive all the material benefits to which members are entitled but not shall have the allow, be allowed other membership participation, participation in the affairs of the union. Membership in the union shall at all times be available to such non-members on the same terms and applicable to other members. That ends Article 6, Leroy. Um, Thank you, Jeff. Did a nice job there. Um, yeah. I might add a little about Article uh, or Section 19 here mm -hmm. uh, uh, about retirees and their uh, uh, full privileges of membership with the following exceptions, Article 19.3, uh, Article 45.2, Article 51 and 5. Uh, essentially, those are as follows. You may not vote to ratify an agreement, you may not vote to start or stop a strike, and the last one is you may not vote for or run for office, any union office that handles local union grievances. 
So you might not, you may not vote for any bargaining committee at the local union level, and you may not run for any bargaining position at the local union level. Other than that, the uh, membership of a retiree is the same as an active person. Now, the Article Three, Article Nineteen, Section Three, is subject to change, uh, so that they they really prevented by federal law in the, court, in the case of uh, Pittsburgh Plate Glass versus Chemical Workers in 1972. I might stand correct. Seventy-one. Seventy-one. Okay, yeah, seventy-one. Uh, and that's uh, federal case law that says that uh, retirees, there's sort of a wall that active workers may not negotiate on their behalf and the retirees may not uh, uh, participate in active workers uh, at the local union level. Having said that, as there's been a lot of negotiating on the behalf of the retirees, there's a number of uh, retiree, uh, retirees and retiree organizations that would like to see ex uh, voting on items exclusive to retirees. And that also needs to be expanded. You'll see this when we get to Article 19. It also needs to be expanded in the case of skilled trades more specifically as a two-part ballot where they would vote on the regular contract and then separately vote, actually vote on uh, items exclusive to skilled trades. And the retirees would have a, uh, a ballot that would not include anything on the regular contract, but only items exclusive to retirees that are in the contract. So that's a possibility of change. We we submitted that last cycle. Um, I drafted it. And a lot of people liked it, and it was pre uh, presented at um, probably, I guess, probably 20 local unions, and it got passed at a number of those. My own, uh, David's got his pass there. Um, sure, it was passed up in uh, Tonawanda and around in Detroit over in the Flint area as well, that we had real good success with getting this passed, but it did not make uh, the muster at the uh, uh, resolutions committee and the convention did not get to the floor. Uh, you may see that in somebody else's uh, resolution, but it was drafted here uh, and supported largely by the people in, involved in our team uh, at the at at this time. So uh, those are a couple that you'll see in the future regarding retirees and their ability to vote. Uh, and that would be then changed here. Uh, so a change may re be required uh, in the sense that it does not, does not uh, 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 come into play with Article 19, Section 3 that they would, they would just simply have to abide by the limitations of Article 19, Section 3. So this may require a, a, some adjustment depending on uh, the uh, uh, resolution that's actually drafted for Article 19, and that would include the change here 
in that other resolution. So no, this one is subject to change uh, at a later resolution once that's uh, considered by everybody and we determine to go forward with it again this year. I believe that actually had that in there that uh, Article 6, Section 19 be ch changed to reflect the changes in uh, Article 19, Section 3 if they're uh, uh, actually approved. So you see, I, I hear a lot of people talking about, let's get resolutions out there. <laughs> Do you see how complicated this is and how this article section article 6 section 19 affects the article 19 section 3 that may or may not be changed by anybody's resolution uh you know so if you're drafting stuff you really got to look a long way around the constitution in order to be doing it right and that's the problem with a lot of these folk running around putting resolutions out there that really haven't been around the Constitution very long and not, don't understand it in totality, in its, in its totality. So, uh, again, be careful of uh, shiny objects. They might not do exactly and specifically what you'd like them to do, and they may well have unintended consequences. Because if you don't change this part, then you have con uh, conflicting language in the Constitution, and you cannot have conflicting language in the Constitution. And if you just look at Article 19, you would not know that this was in Article 6. So I hope everybody understands that. Um, there's a lot to writing a resolution. And as I recall in the draft of that, and the final of that, uh, that did include the change in Article 6, uh, Section 19. So uh, having said that, uh, David, do you have anything to add to Jeff's report? Yeah, um, Article 19 in the resolution that was drafted. Um, yeah. There were some uh, things that led up to the drafting of that resolution, and that was um, the language in the uh, 2015 Collective Bargaining Agreement, Exhibits A and Exhibit B. Um, I believe most of that language is contained in Exhibit A. You actually took this language to a pension advocacy and had them examine it. And their opinion was that Attention needed to be drawn to this language in this collective bargaining agreement, ASAP. Is that not correct? Well, you're a little bit out of cycle because these resolutions were considered for the 2014 Constitutional Convention. The 2015 collective bargaining agreement resolutions were the ones I believe you're talking about. But, yes, we did take that to a... Uh, pension rights advocate attorney. So then, what we were looking at at that time was pension de-risk consideration. Correct, and that was that went and was uh, passed at, at a, a local union, and it did. Uh, that one did um, make muster, uh, and I believe it was passed in the package, David, uh, on the uh, pension de-risk, and that was 
part of the collective bargaining agreement. We were successful in getting that clear through the resolutions committee uh, at the bargaining convention, not the constitutional convention. And that was by one of our team uh, leadership team members that's currently on the team at a very prominent local union. Uh, she's a great uh, sister, very educated, uh, highly educated, and uh, has a double bachelor's degree. So we, without naming her, just know that uh, she assisted in the drafting of that and that she was very instrumental in getting it passed and then instrumental in encouraging her leadership to make sure that it got through and, uh, uh, as they said, passed, passed muster and went into the, the package at the uh, uh, bargaining convention. It did get through the resolutions committee and was passed. And, of course, that language, I think, has been adjusted uh, to the degree that it no longer talks about de-risk in the agreement, but rather made it worse <laughs> you know, right. because they come up with this Pension Protection Act of 2006 that is far worse than than uh, just, you know, putting it into an annuity. So... Uh, but we asked, the thing that we asked for was a, uh, a reinsurance of the annuity. The annuity itself would cost, uh, there was obviously $60 billion in the pension plan. The annuity would cost around 31 ish uh, and I don't know how they do that. That's funny money and funny numbers. But the reinsurance cost around 12, so around 43. So they could really only steal about 17,000 or 17 billion out of the uh, pension fund. But I think they got it in other ways. Uh, so since well, 2013, we've talked about that in other shows. We won't go into that now. But yes, uh, it's my understanding that we were successful uh, in uh, not having that. De-risk language uh, in the con in you know being considered in the contract any longer. So, uh, it, it, to my knowledge, it's been removed and they have replaced it with the Pension Protection Act. So, and for those of you that might wonder what the Pension Protection Act, if you're new to as a new listener, uh, in the the all three Detroit Three agreements have the Pension Protection Act 2006 passed and. Uh, through Congress in 2006 and signed by the president at the time, George uh, Bush, uh, 43, I guess, uh, and uh, uh, that signed. And that means that if the pension funding in your pension plan falls below 80%, the vested portion gets cut by 50% of your pension. Now that's 50% of the lesser of your pension or the, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, that's the thing you hear the government protects your pension. You get the lesser of those two, the lesser of, okay? So it uh, might not just be 50% of your pension. It could be something less depending on what that uh, calculation is, and that's a calculation that's pretty secret. I'm not sure that anybody really knows how to calculate all that quite complicated i know that for sure so uh all right so that kind of covered that one like a blanket i think so uh 
Jeff, do you have anything to add since we've been talking on this? Um, no, just people really need to start reading this Constitution and understanding a little bit more. Because um, if they do that, they can better control their leadership at the local and have firepower to back up their, their arguments. Um, of course, I have used it several times. Um, and I encourage everybody to do it. It just takes one person to stand up and hold their ground and speak out. Um, don't be afraid, because you'll find that you'll have some backing around you. So please, read this whole book, the whole Constitution. You'll understand things. You can be able to find out what they're doing wrong at what time and what needs to be done by the Constitution. So if you don't read it, you don't learn, you know, it's on you. Educate yourself. That's all I got, Leroy. Thank you, Jeff. It's, uh, just to add a little quote, it's never wrong to do the right thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, thank you for your report. Jeff, and as we go through this Constitution, we're learning a lot and how complicated it can be. And when you make an adjustment over here, you might tweak something out of cycle and have a real problem uh, understanding it. And I, I saw somebody post something that said, oh, you don't have to be a legal scholar. Just anybody with a little ambition can write a resolution. Well, yeah, they can. They might do a whole lot of damage and unintended consequences jump up and bite you. So be careful. Be careful. Really careful. And shiny objects. Yeah, shiny objects. Uh, It might not be exactly what you think. And there's rules, you know. Lots of them. Lots of them. Not just in the Constitution. In the federal rule book, too. U.S. US Code, uh, Title 29 U.S.C. Uh, So having said that, uh, David, you want to go ahead and start with your report? I know yours is also pretty uh, detailed and uh, dealing with some with some federal law. We, it uh, as I might uh, add, uh, we initially uh, uh, wanted to take this on as a discrimination issue under EEOC, but it turns out that it's actually more under the National Labor Relations Act. So. Um, the discrimination may may be completely uh, different. Uh, so if you'd uh, go ahead and give your report now, David, we'd appreciate it. Thank you. Um, I want to lay some foundation um, in the law, um, USC 29 Code 152 definitions. Um, let's decide who an employer is. The term employer includes any person acting as an agent of an employer directly or indirectly. Let's define an employee. The term employee shall include any employee. Number five, the term labor organization means any organization of any kind or agency or employee representation committee or plan in which employees participate and which exist for the purpose 
in whole or in part of dealing with employees' concerns, grievances, labor disputes, wages, rates, hours of pay, of pay rates of pay, hours of employment, or conditions of work. These are the yeah. elected officials. Hey, David, that we elect. uh, David, the Go dealing ahead. with. Go ahead, Leroy. Just a second, Dave. Dealing with employers concerning grievances, not employees. Dealing with employers. Okay, yes, you're does. correct. Okay, I want dealing to with to employees concerning grievances. Yep. Employers. Right. Sorry, Leroy. Thanks for correcting okay. that. You bet. Bye. U.S. Code. 157, the right of employees as to organize collective bargaining. Employees shall have the right to self-organization to form, join, or assist labor organizations to bargain collectively through representatives of their own choosing and to engage in other concerted activities for the purpose of collective bargaining or other mutual aid and protect, aid or protection. USC Code 158, Unfair Labor Practices. Unfair Labor Practices by Employer. It shall be unfair labor practice for any employer to interfere with, restrain, or coerce employees in the exercise of the rights guaranteed in Section 157 of this title. By discrimination in regard to hire, tenure of employment, or any term or condition of employment to encourage or discourage membership in any labor organization. Obligation to bargain collectively for the purpose of this section to bargain collectively in the performance of the mutual obligation of the employer and the representative of the employees to meet at a reasonable times and confer in good faith with respect to wages, hours, and term, other terms and conditions of employment or the negotiation of an agreement. So that concludes um, the foundation of the law. It was brought to our attention this week that this was put out by um, the GM department um, under Cindy Estrada. GM transitions from DDI to select. This is for the hiring process, and this is what it says in part. The new hire assessments that are currently conducted by DDI for GM new hire applications was recently put out for bid by GM. Following the bidding process, a new vendor has been selected by General Motors to complete the new hire assessments company that will be conducting the assessments in the future will be Select International. Select International will soon be visiting several of our UAW representative locations to speak with team leaders, group leaders, team members, and skilled trade members to get a better understanding of what type of information is necessary to include in the assessment process for UAW GM facilities. And they say they will share information as it becomes available while GM transitions from DDI to select. It is our opinion that 
any company coming in to talk to team leaders and team members or skilled trade members unless they are elected by their membership constitutes an unfair labor practice. Um, to find yourself in some serious trouble in the event that either company goes out and does something distasteful, you find yourself in the middle of litigation as a defendant. If they want to come in and talk to elected leadership and sit down at a table, that's fine but they don't have any business talking to team leaders and team members and skilled trade members that aren't elected officials. That's stepping outside of what union members do. And it's laid out specifically in paragraph 8. That's all I have to add, Leroy. You have more. Okay, David. Uh, nice job on that report. Uh, Jeff, do you have anything to add there before I jump in here? No, go ahead, everybody. All right, I'll give you another chance here in a second. So, as you heard, as David read the law, the eight, you know, uh, there are management agents who directly and indirectly represent management, and then there are employees. And those employees elect union leaders. They select a union, and then they elect union leaders to represent them with management and or any of its agents. And this company select is an agent of management. That means they have to deal with, according to the law, they have an obligation, collectively bargain, bargain collectively, for the purposes of this section to bargain collectively is the performance of the mutual obligation employer and the representative of the employees to meet at reasonable times confer in good faith with respect to hours, I'm sorry, wages, hours, and other terms of conditions of terms and conditions of employment or the negotiation of an agreement. These are terms and conditions of employment. Okay? These are terms and conditions of employment. Those terms and conditions are to be dealt with by the union representatives, not by workers, members in the union. If an agent of management wants to come in and determine who's a good employee to hire, they need to talk to their union representatives. If the union representatives want to hold a poll in the local union to determine such things as might be appropriate without violation of the law, then the union may do that. But for management to send them in or send its agent in to discuss with line workers, rank-and-file members, who is going to be a good employee, makes that employee an agent of management. And that is an unfair labor practice. Don't make us managers from the plant floor. 
So with that said, we oppose this. And we're team working for a living has discussed it. And we're not happy with it at all. Our union is a union, and it needs to return to being a union and less of a company union. And you're trying to involve members in your company business, and that is simply unacceptable. You hear us talk about labor ethos and company ethos. This is a prime example of the company abusing its authority with our membership. The people you deal with, according to federal law, are the elected representatives. If you need specific information from them and they so deem necessary and appropriate, then they'll hold a poll and ask the questions themselves. But you do not have an agent of the company contacting rank-and-file membership on how to run your company. Union leadership is who you talk to. Having said that, Jeff, you got any comments after that? I agree, Leroy, 100%. Uh, We have some team leaders in the plants who think they're management. Um, they're taking attendance, um, assigning jobs, and that's not necessarily their priorities. Um, management has to take attendance, assign jobs, and make sure that employees get paid correctly and on time. Um, so just be aware when the elections are coming up, um, October, this coming week, my plant will be holding the yearly team leader elections, and we have a we have teams, and all the candidates who are running are yet have to be interviewed first by representatives from the company and the union leadership before a vote can be held to see if that candidate is qualified to become a team leader. So that's how we do things in my plant. If people vote on the team leader. They get a dollar fifty more an hour, and they they bust their butt. But their job is not to take on management's job. Let's keep it at that. So I got Leroy. That's correct, Jeff. Correct. It's uh, uh, an issue that's got a lot of legs to it. This whole thing, this company ethos, and it's going to change. It's simply going to change. We cannot bargain in the interest of the membership with management convoluting the rules of our membership. Not going to happen. And for Sister Estrada, if you have anything you want done you have them contact the union leadership that's elected, and by law, the only people that can represent and talk to management and deal with management 
They are not, I repeat, not to talk to the rank and file regarding such matters as management and how to run their company. That's their business. And that's provided for in paragraph 8 of the National Agreement and General Motors Agreement. And that happens to be the department that you're in, Sister Estrada. And you need to start acting like a union leader and less like a manager. Not doing too good there. The grade was a failure, F, today, in your leadership ability in dealing with this issue. I heard it under your signature. That didn't give them authority to contact the membership, and it violates the law. And there's a section in here that deals with you violating that unfair labor practice as well. So be real careful, sister. Real, real careful in how you deal with management. You, as an elected officer, or any other elected officer, or appointed officer, is who deals with management. In this case, bargaining teams, bargaining committees. Make no mistake, management runs its company. We don't. They deal with elected leadership. And those elected leadership will make determination on how best to represent a membership. No one else. Management doesn't go in and represent our members or turn them into company agents ever. Okay, having said that, uh, we're right at 8 o'clock. Let me uh, discuss a little bit about the uh, update from Cami. Not that there's anything that we have specific, uh, but as you know, we had the uh, president and chair, chairman on the uh, show last week. We really appreciate him coming on. Uh, we discussed some things like dead peasants insurance and how NAFTA might better uh, be uh, dealt with or dealt with maybe in a different way than some other people are talking about and actually be uh, legal under GATT and NAFTA uh, that would ad address the dumping in both our countries in Canada and the United States by surcharge and just surcharge gets sent back to the Mexico and then they put that in their infrastructure and that gets into their wage base and next thing you know they're starting to make more money over there. And if they'd have done that in the beginning when we asked for this, that we'd probably already be parity by now or real close to it. Parity is what we're trying to get to here. And not low parity, but parity up here sort of where we're making, you know, the $31 an hour-ish uh, rather than uh, the, the three or four that they're making in Mexico or even the half-wage jobs that we have within our own union. And we'll address that once we ascend the leadership as well. There are laws regarding that, by the way. And we're, we're kind of a stickler on abiding by the law. That's just too damn bad for some people when we get there. Uh, so uh, we armed them with some of those things. They were 
they sat down and uh, discussed some things. Went back to the table, I think, Wednesday. Uh, they decided to go back uh, to the table, and they're back negotiating now. Uh, we don't know how that's going to turn out, but our sense is that they're doing pretty well over the nose, nose negotiations. This show went pretty well. There's a whole lot of folks that we know looked at it because we know things and how to track some things. So we know you're looking at it. Uh, and we uh, we want to let you know that we expect to see pretty much everything they've asked for over there in their agreement. We really do. They're not asking for the moon. They're being reasonable in their requests. But they have employees to represent, and they're doing a real good job over there. So that's the sort of the update there. Uh, oh, the other thing we armed them with was the idea that, jeez, uh, almost slipped my mind, about velocity of money. Uh, they stayed on even after we, uh, uh, you know, the, the interview ended. They listened as we discussed velocity of money. They both were there uh, in in uh, the switchboard listening, and we thank them for that. Uh, but we talked about velocity of money, how it's gone down since the year 2000, almost on a 45-degree angle uh, versus the last, you know, 40, 50 years. Uh, and that's not a good thing. And that's in the face of some $8 trillion being infused into the U.S. economy and velocity of money. That's how much and how fast it's moving through the economy has gone down substantially in the last, you know, since the year 2000, actually. So uh, it's down a lot. Uh, and now they want to uh, unwind. That's a cutesy word for selling hell like you've never seen before. $4.5 trillion. And that'll distress velocity of money even further because they're going to pull money out of the system that they put in there to mask the massive job loss, the manufacturing job loss that we have. CBS, as you know, the major broadcast network, did a study, and they said 89% of our manufacturing base has been lost out of this country, 89%. In order to mask that, 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, eight years, they infused a trillion dollars a year. That's eight trillion infused into the economy. All the while, velocity of money on a 45-degree down angle. Now they're going to pull that money, about half of it out, that they still have on. They've sold us some little bit of it. Uh, but they're going to pull $4.5 trillion out in the next little while. And that's going to even further drive down velocity of money and market pricing, which uh, sort of leads me into the next a segment of my report I want to talk to you about where the market's at. Uh, we've seen in the transports a huge W pattern. These W patterns often uh, on the right side tend to fail a little, little bit down from the right side of the top of the W. They will fail in a catastrophic way. We know that there's major support between 17,000, we'll just call it even 17,400 plus or minus 
pencil width, which we'll call 100 points, 17,400 plus or minus 100. We know closer number, but for now, we'll just do it that way. That's probably the best way. And that's the first support. And in order for a maximum move to drop to that, and you keep hearing everybody talking about it, hell, even even somebody that just jumped off the boat the other day into the Union uh, uh, ring here uh, is saying, sell your stock. Well, we're not going to tell you what to do. We're just going to tell you where the idea that this is at and where some support's at. And a maximum move, if we fall around 500 points-ish, a maximum move down would take us to that 17,400 plus or minus 100, that neighborhood. The next support's right around 16,000. So from where we're at, that's roughly 6,000 points from where we're at. That's the first one. David Stockman, who's well-known and highly revered gentleman uh, and quite accurate, has said that you can see a market correction of between 40 and 70%. 70 times 22,000 is about uh, 14, 4. Take that out, and that takes you down to, what's that, uh, 22, about 8,000, is that it? About 8,000. He's a little short. Is the line coming from the standard poor 500, ESPX, is around 500, I'm sorry, 600. And that translates into 5,000 for the Dow. And we don't know if it's going to maintain that ratio or not, but it's it's quite a low number, the next iteration down. Not to be too alarming, but this first drop isn't the only drop because the Fed's going to be selling this $4.5 trillion for a while. And it's going to take us a while to get there. And it's pretty low. Stockman's you know, probably conservative in his 70% down. We agree with it, maybe even a little further. So uh, just know we're not going to tell you what to do. We're not giving advice. We're giving you where the market's at. The, the high between the two highs on the Dow from 2000 and 2007, you extend that line, and you're right at... 17,400, and there's some adjustments that might be made uh, when it came through the pad, this latest pattern when it moved up through it. Might be some adjustments, a couple hundred points uh, one way or the other. So we that's kind of where we plugged them in at, about 17.4. So you could see 17.5 or 17.3, uh, anywhere in that neighborhood. And then a follow-through, like we've always had when we had a, a catastrophic time of another 1,000 points or so. So, and that's uh, where that support line is at, is 17, 4 plus or minus 100. That's that line across those two highs. That's major support, major support. It probably will not go below that 
on a catastrophic drop. But you might see follow-through below that. So uh, we don't know how it's all going to play out. Nobody's a soothsayer here. But it is very, very, very treacherous right now as we've made this dough. And you can look at the transports for the last nine months, and you will see a huge W pattern. And these at the top uh, give rise to a, a drop, uh, usually a pretty catastrophic drop. It's the fastest movement from this point where we're at down to that 17,400 line. That's the fastest movement. Whether it's one day or whether it takes two, three months, we don't know. But it's definitely something to take heed and watch. We've been saying that. We actually did a page on our dot-com showing the Standard & Poor 500, and it has more of a straight line, and that supports around 1,600 SPX. Okay, and we're not going to go to there because the current support for the SPX and the next move down is at 1,800. So there's support around 1,970-ish on the SPX and a follow-through support around 1,800 if you see anything happen like this. Just know, again, support 17.4, on the Standard Poor 500, and then a follow-through maybe down to 16,000 and around 1,800. Those are your support lines. When you see those hit, you can see a little bounce from that, that probably 16,000 or 1,800 on the SPX. So uh, those are the technicals of what's going on. Does anybody know for sure? No, because they've shown up a couple times in the past. Here about two years ago, we saw the same thing. Okay, But it's a little different now because the Fed has actually come out and said, we're going to start selling. Okay. So be aware that this time is a little different. This double top that we're seeing, and we look for double tops, this double top that we're seeing is really, really telling you, screaming at you to make some decisions, whatever those decisions are. It's, you know, and you're not just hearing it from us. Everybody's saying, hell, you know, we got a brand new person out there probably doesn't know much about technical analysts at all, analysis saying to sell your stock. We're not going to tell you what to do because that's not our business. That's not our business. But what we do know is at the top of this market like we have, we should have been asking for some clawback in our agreement because those people who most need it, temporaries, are going to get laid off and not have the benefit of subpay like they should. And that's why it was negotiated for those who need it most at the lower end of the seniority totem pole, when they get laid off, that they have some safety net beyond just regular unemployment, that they have nearly full wages, I think 95%, for as long as they receive their unemployment, up to a year. And that's what it used to be. Still in the agreement just that nobody gets it that needs it because they've made them all temporaries and that's about to change as well 
I'll ask uh, Jeff first. Do you have any questions or comments on my report, Jeff? Um, people might, older people might remember David Stockman. He's a he's from Michigan, and he was Ronald Reagan's man who created economics. If you all remember that, so he, no matter what party he belongs in. He's got a pretty good idea on what what's going on, and so like everybody said, just pay attention, make your choices the, the right way. So we do see something happening, and it's usually the auto industry that gets hit first. So, and the worst. Well, I got it right. Okay, thank you, Jeff. I mean, it's you know he's he's a re, you know renowned analyst. Okay, we can sit here and tell you where the support levels are, but he's coming in and telling you 40 to 70% drop. Now, he didn't say how long it's going to take, but you're going to see that kind of correction. But the support levels are almost a maximum move below where we are right now. So, you know, to behoove you, people are pretty nervous right now. It behooves you to take a look at this again. So, David, you got any questions or comments on this? No, I don't. Good report. Thank you very much. I uh, appreciate it. Uh, we try to do a couple of things. Go ahead. A couple of things that I would like to say um, in regards to um, the Equinox. Um, as UAW members here in the United States, we typically don't buy anything that crosses the border from Mexico or from any other country. Um, we do support and buy our um, products that are manufactured by our Canadian brothers and sisters. Um, supply of these vehicles is short. Um, so when you go into a dealership, you're looking at a new Equinox, please take the time to look at the VIN number and verify where that vehicle was manufactured from. Um, we don't want to be purchasing any of these products that would come across the border from Mexico. Um, that can help our brothers and sisters in Canada. That's all I have to say there. Okay, thank you. Uh, you know, we need to support high wages, especially in North America, whether they're here or with our sister country in Canada. We don't need to start a war with Canada. We have plenty of wars going on. Uh, in just about every part of the world. Hell, we're damn near at war with Puerto Rico right now. So uh, God help them down there, brothers. And we want to you know, remember those that have been affected by this horrendous season of hurricanes. So, But uh, uh, let's, let's have some compassion for high wages, no matter where they're made, no matter where they're made. So have, that's a good comment, David. Thank you. Uh, anything at all, Jeff, that you want to talk about before we close the show? Do you have anything else? No, I just just want to welcome all the new members. It's good to see that a lot of them are making comments on our, our Facebook page. And um, it's, it's just growing, people. Tell others and let's make the decision to make the right choices for next year uh, at the Constitution Convention. So, thank you and welcome. 
Uh, David, anything at all? Go ahead. No. Okay. Yeah, I reiterate Jeff's comment. You know, uh, you know, uh, as you're presented to, you know, the opportunity to join Team Working for Living, we encourage you to do so. Uh, and uh, we really appreciate uh, that you're, you're joining in droves. It's, it's kind of just amazing. So thank you. You're, you know, you're you're being welcomed, uh, as you know. So, uh, but thanks to everybody, uh, and we're happy to uh, have you in, in the team. And it's uh, it's growing by leaps and bounds, and uh, this is uh, going to be a successful uh, uh, venture here. We're going to be really successful in taking back our union. And you heard some things tonight that we need to do in order to help take back our union and stop management from enlisting us to be their uh, agents uh, in their own in, in, and advocate their behalf rather than advocate on our behalf for the members uh, and make sure that we have higher numbers, not lower numbers of members, So, and higher wages. The Constitution, as Jeff's already indicated in one of the, uh, the articles, requires us to seek ever higher wages ever lower hours. That's our, that's our mandated requirement by the UAW Constitution. We need to get back to that. Okay. So, Having said that, uh, thanks to all the listeners uh, that's listening to the show. We, we know you're out there in droves. I'll tell you, the numbers are just, just going right up uh, every week. Uh, just amazing. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, tell just one other member, if you found value in the show, uh, remember our, our email address for any, especially the uh, Article uh, 6, uh, Section 11 that we talked about. Uh, we'll talk more about 19, Section 19 uh, when we get to Article 19. But if they have any comments on uh, Article 6, Section 11, as uh, Jeff brought out there, uh, please email those to workingforaliving at workingforaliving.com. You can follow us on Blog Talk Radio and get a reminder. Uh, we're syndicated on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, we have it uh, workingforaliving.com, iTunes, Stitcher, and Player FM. Uh, I want to say uh, a shout-out to all our friends around the world, our friends in Canada and our friends in Mexico that we have there, all of our local unions and friends in the United States, uh, and uh, we wish all the listeners a safe and wonderful week ahead, and we'll see you on October 8th. I'm sorry, yeah, October 8th. And uh, you have a good night. And David and Jeff, good night. Good night, listeners. Good night, everybody. Good night.